morning, everyone. Welcome to this eighth day of November. What a day yesterday, huh? Well, Sal, you got it worse than we did. You're in a higher elevation, but it was it was hilarious just to see the weather and see the hail coming down so hard and then harder and then harder. Al says he was out walking and realized maybe I should start running. <laughs> well, we want to continue to think of Anne. I know now we're starting to take her meals. Um, she's home and accepting him, so that's great. I think Riley and Katie are taking her a meal today. I think it's Darwinia Schnitzel. I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have the Richies coming home later this week. Um, I know uh, Colleen and I will be getting out of here tomorrow morning early. We'll be gone for two weeks. We'll be back Friday, 1120, and I can't wait. I can't wait, not have to worry about work, get to travel with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Um, Colleen is amazing to travel with, even preliminarily. I mean, I think of what it costs me when my work is paying for me to travel, and we're like 60% of it less than that, and we're two people going. So she's just, I couldn't believe it. I was saying, okay, this airfare is one person, right? She's like, no, that's two. It's like, wow, wow, you missed your calling. Um, today's passage, we're going to be covering Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. I know we're breaking the streak already. We were doing a chapter a week. This one we're going to stop at, at after verse 17. This is a complete thought, and I thought I was preaching next week in the plan, so I was going to go until 8-8, but Al will get to figure out what he wants to, to go over next week. So, two weeks ago, we finished chapter 5, and then, of course, last week we did 6. <clears throat> the first ch five chapters in Isaiah is basically the first message that Isaiah gave after he became a prophet. So it was interesting to go into last week, chapter 6, and chapter 6 takes us all the way back to the very beginning when Isaiah received his call to be a prophet. And then also in chapter 6 we started hearing about this remnant, this remnant of people that will return. So in our community group we go over the message um, every Wednesday we discuss, so we start looking at it before the message is given, and then we look at it after, and then we share what we got out of it. So it was almost the strong majority really loved the picture Isaiah portrayed um, in the beginning of being, being in God's presence to receive that, that message, that calling of God. And it's no wonder as you continue to look in the book of Isaiah, how faithful he was with everything God had him do. 
and we talked about some of those things in group. It's just amazing, and but it's not that amazing when you realize what he saw. So he knew for sure there was a God, and he saw exactly where he lived, and so he was going to come on and live the rest of his life in in that faith. There was no lack of faith, no disobedience, nor questioning God when God told him to do something. He was like, you know what? I know exactly what my future is going to be. So I asked my community group to bookmark in their mind or whatever this, this part in chapter 6 because we're going to walk down through Isaiah and we're going to see some pretty crazy things that God had him do and he didn't bat an eye. Um, he did them. I know um, Isaiah's life ended during the reign of King Manasseh, who was known as one of the bloodiest kings ever. And Isaiah was sodden too, from stem to stern. It couldn't be halfway through. No, it was from bottom up. Um, and with all that, he never recanted. Never recanted, never questioned God. Um, and he knew what he had in store for the next life. So we only read about what he saw in heaven. Um, we did not live it. I think if we all had, had, had lived that and seen it, we would live so differently in our lives today, right? And is that our excuse, though, to say that we haven't had a heaven experience like Isaiah? No. Because we have the Bible as our witness that that happened. And also think about the others that we look about that had this same experience. We think of Paul and John. Um, they were so faithful. And you can read about their experience in life. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians 11, 16 through 33 is like a summation of all of Paul's hardships. And then John, the apostle John has an unconfirmed story. And there's two things. He was either forced to drink poison or be boiled in oil and both of them had no effect on him but we know one thing he was banished to the island of, of Patmos and that's where we know he wound up and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation and so this next section we're going through in Isaiah is from chapter 6 to basically chapter 12 verse 6 and you could look at this and call it a triumph of grace. And we've already seen that. If you look back at what we covered last week in chapter 6, right? Al shared about no matter what's going to happen, God is going to preserve this remnant, this holy seed, and it's going to be brought back into the land. So this morning's passage... I'm going to call choose you this day basically who are you going to trust are you going to trust God or are you going to cover and trust man so let's pray dear Jesus we just want to thank you so much for this morning with everything that we have going on in our lives Jesus versus work next week, 
um, trips, um, illness, injury. We just want you to please quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, help us to see you in this time. Help us to come before you and just calm ourselves. And Father, just, just have your Holy Spirit speak through me and bring your message forward. We love you so much. Amen. So let's look at the 17 verses that we're going to go over this morning. So Isaiah 7, 1 through 17. And it says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Azad and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Cherzezub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Samaria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey. And when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as not have come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So we see Isaiah standing here before Ahaz. 
And the king is challenged to believe and show faith. And so much is at stake here. In fact, you could say the, the dynasty is at stake. The judgments we went over in, in chapters 1 through 5 will be awful, right? And then we ended it at the end of 5.30. We were in darkness. The promises Isaiah shared are also very real, and they rest in God's divine work of salvation to his people. So here in chapter 7, we see the kingdom has moved from Jotham to his son Ahaz. And this is the third king out of the five that Isaiah would know. Ahaz was a wicked king who undid everything his father had done. Jotham was faithful, but he also didn't stop and go the rest of the way and stop his people from being corrupt. In 2 Chronicles 27, discusses the reign of Jotham, and it's a short chapter. 28, though, talks about Ahaz, and it is a lot longer than that. It's got 27 verses. So, looking at verses 1 through 2, there's a great co-passage that goes along with this. It's 2 Kings 16, 5 through 7. 2 Kings 16, 5 through 7. And the story there describes what happened and already took place before Isaiah came and talked to Ahaz. So let's look at 1 and 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Samaria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syrah is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So, what happened prior, if we look at Second Kings, let's look at it. it says, Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At the time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Ethlath for Syria, and drove the men of Judah from Ethlath, and the Edomites came to Ethlath, and where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. So to prevent any accusation, when you see the words Ephraim in Israel, this means the same thing. Ephraim was like the major tribe during that time. So they use them interchangeably. So we see Ahaz is very concerned, right? You have these two kings in Syria and Israel, and they have formed this alliance, and their attempt is to overthrow Assyria. And before they do that, they realize they need more strength. So they want to 
come in and take over Judah. Because Judah has been very successful under the previous two kings, under Uzziah and then under uh, Jotham. They were powerful and had successes in battle. So they must figure, you know what, we got this new guy in his 20s as king. Let's go take him out. Then we'll get some more resources, and then we can go to battle against Assyria. And I want to show you something. In verse 2, so nothing in the Bible is just a throwaway word to fill up space. And we're seeing that so much in Isaiah. Things that we can just read over. If we stop and look at them, we really see that there's such a purpose there. Like the beginning of verse 2 tells us, when the house of David was told. This signifies not just Ahaz, but it signifies he's a king with a special lineage in this role as a king of Judah. And basically, this line traces back to a king that God loved very much and gave a special covenant to. In fact, in the last song that David ever wrote, David ever wrote about God, he wrote this in 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23, and this is verse 5. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For he will not cause to prosper, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and desire? So you see this. Isaiah is using this through the, through the Holy Spirit, talking about the house of God right now with Ahaz. And David is saying, does not my house stand with God? And we see what Ahaz had already done. He'd already forgotten this, right? And, and what he's looking for the key words are in this verse that David wrote, right? We see words that were a promise like secure, prosper. This is exactly what Ahaz is looking for. And Ahaz is a part of the house of David. And he has this promise if he stands with God like his father David did. God is pointing out in here his promise to David. And also, we're seeing Ahaz's lack of faith in this great promise. And verse 2 ends with this reading that Ahaz and his people shook as trees in the wind out of fear. What's worse is out of fear of man. So why is this king and their people shaking with great fear out of man? They're from the house of God. I truly believe we see it, it's a lack of knowledge. They did not know God, and they had every ability to know God. While Jotham wasn't the most religious king, he did try to obey God. He wasn't as strong as Uzziah, who later melted. He definitely wasn't King David, but he did trust God, and God blessed him. David's words were written down, and the book of the law was written down. So Ahaz had every ability, but, but he chose not to. And as we're going to see very shortly in verse 3, 
he also had someone very special. He had a prophet of God in Isaiah standing before him. So one takeaway for us right now to get on is we need to ensure that we dedicate ourselves to a hunger for God after his word and to truly know him and to continue in this life to build that strong relationship with Jesus. Let's look at verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jehoshbub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So Al pointed out to us in chapter 6 that this remnant of Judah would survive and return. And God's, Isaiah's son, he took with him by God's direction, was named this. His name that we translate means a remnant shall return. This is a promise God made and this child's name and his physical being bore witness. So God already promised this in Isaiah 1.9 that says, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So Isaiah was directed by God to have this child as a visual aid to Ahaz. And folks, this was a must at this time. You've got to remember, this child was a visual aid because back then they didn't have conference rooms with projectors where they could have a PowerPoint slide deck and put this all out there. All that was missing. So Isaiah had a permanent visual aid with him, his son. So imagine, imagine how powerful this picture was, though. You had, in this crisis, the king, where should he have been? We'll see where his son wound up during the same type of crisis. But this king should have been in the temple praying, but he was not. He was up at the water supply inspecting anywhere where they might be vulnerable to attack. And before him was the man of God with this living example of a message from God saying, you're not going to make it, but don't worry, a faithful remnant will return. At this point, you figure Ahaz would realize and go into the temple and be praying that, hey, God, don't make there a need for a remnant. We repent. We're going to follow you explicitly. And God is meeting Ahaz, this wicked man, at a moment where he needs God. Ahaz is trying to save his skin in his own strength. But God is there and still offering to help. Ahaz did not need, did not realize, did not understand that he needed to wait on the Lord and seek his guidance. We do this in our own lives, right? So all the time something happens and we think, hey, let's be responsive. Let's get going. Let's start to fix it and move on to solving it instead of stopping, right? Stopping, asking God, hey, 
why is this happening? Um, what, do, what do you want me to see in this situation? Um, who do you need me to minister to? Do, what, am I ready? Or who's going to be brought in front of me to minister to me? Um, and what is your purpose, again, Lord, in this situation? So that's why I stress to you guys, we stress to you, to seek God in the morning and, be, and have a conversation with Him. Be ready. Be ready. Learning now to seek Him in the morning, praying to be ready for God to move during the day. This is where we need to be headed. Let's, learn, let's look at 4 through 6. 4 through 6 says, And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. So in verse 4, God is telling Isaiah to tell Ahaz to keep calm and trust. He is basically telling Ahaz, be careful to do nothing. Be careful to do nothing. But you got to imagine instead, the political people around Ahaz are saying, hey, buddy, king, ruler, we need to act and, and act now. And uh, we need to align with the stronger kingdom, which they did. They sent out messengers to Assyria to come help. But instead, imagined, imagine if he listened to God. God was telling him, hey, these kings that are coming against you, they, they're a weakened force. And God called them out. He called them smoldering stumps of firebrands. Basically, these are two torches that are almost nearly burned out. I guess in, in Hebrew, this is the highest form of trash talking there was. God is telling him, hey, don't worry about this. I got you. These two kings, they're close to being done. Their fire would soon be stamped out and they're no longer a threat. And it was true. It was true. I mean, these two kingdoms were no match for Assyria. And Assyria was going to be coming up against them. And they would be wiped out. They would be wiped out. And then look at God continues to show Ahaz through Isaiah that they're nothing. When we look at the end of 4 through 6, when God's talking about the kings, when referring to them, he calls them out without using their name, like they're already gone. And then the puppet king that they were going to put in there, we never learned this guy's name at all. So what we know is Ahaz needed faith, not politics. He needed faith. He needed to rest in God, and he should have been in that temple praying instead of up checking out the water supply and his defenses. 
Now the interesting thing is the rest of the verses we're going to cover is God talking directly to Ahaz. And no, it's not Ahaz hearing a voice from the sky, but he's hearing a word directly from God to him. This concerned God and his people, and it's a big moment. So God's message in verse 7 to Ahaz is to understand how great this God is. The plans of these two kings will not occur. 7 says, Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Ramalye. And if you aren't firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. So God says, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Ahaz had made up his mind, but God here is, is, is making faith easy. He's saying, do nothing. Do nothing because their plans will not come to pass. In Proverbs 16:1, it says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That means our responsibility as humans is to the sovereign God. 16.9, Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Ahaz should have known, he should have known that he could plan all he wanted to, but God is going to fulfill God's purposes. So, basically, he had no excuse. He could not say he did not know and that nobody told him. And then 8 and 9 is a beautiful song, poem, that's written by Isaiah here. God is telling Ahaz that he is dealing with the unfaithful and idol-worshipping ten northern tribes. And that if he failed to trust God and be faithful, Judah would be next. Now the northern tribes, they chose to trust in man and not God, and they, they failed. And we're seeing they're going to be wiped out. And God is saying, Judah, you continue down this path, you're next. The northern tribes chose to worship man and then trust these other kings for their security. And they had totally left God and trusted in human wisdom. So God says within 65 years they will no longer be a people, have a land, and will disappear into this human line that they trusted. And this was promised way back in Deuteronomy 28, 32 through 30, 24. It says, it came to fruition and it also came to fruition, I'm sorry, in 2 Kings 17.6. 17.6 says, The Israelites were carried away, never to return to their cities and lands. And then in 2 Kings 17.24, we see Assyria 
resettled the land with other captives they had from other areas. So the thought is here, what if besides 8 and 9, what if God had put another verse there to really spell it out to Ahaz that said, the head of Judah is Jerusalem and the head of Jerusalem is David's son. And if they are not faithful, they will lose everything. So we say Ahaz right here is close to having his heart hardened and become at the point of no return. So we see in verse 10, again, the Lord says he's speaking to Ahaz and telling him in verse 11, test me. Let's look at 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to test. Mm. So we see God stopping at nothing for the sake of this Davidic king and his chosen city. So you could say basically right now, God is willing to move heaven and earth for his people and, and to show them how much he loved them. God is showing us right here in these little words how important faith is to him. It is. This is a major crossing point in history and Ahaz did not understand where he was in it. He was not looking up to God and he had no awareness whatsoever of what was happening. He was only looking left and looking right. What we talk about, you should be looking up, not looking left or right around you, but he wasn't. He had no clue of the major consequences that hung in the balance with what he was about to do. So verse 13 adds that, he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So going back to 12, he says, we don't want to take Ahaz as being pious, as a man that's like, you know what? I'm just a man. I don't want to put my God to the test. Um, that's not it. Like we talked about earlier, what Ahaz has already done is he sent messengers to the Assyrian king and said, I am your servant. I am your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Samaria and from the king of Israel who are attacking me. So at God's offer to help him and say, test me, put me to the test, Ahaz, Ahad could have seen the most awesome display of God's power like Hezekiah would see later, but instead he doesn't. He chose unbelief and he's also going to get the penalty that comes with that unbelief. 
So Ahaz will not be allowed to continue. And we see in verse 13 that God calls him out for this. Tells him, you're willing basically to, to bug men and get security from man, but you're not willing to bug me. And I'm the God. And not just Ahaz. Um, God calls about the whole house of David. He said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So he's also talking about the fact that the house of David has failed to live up to the wonderful plans and commitment that he had with it. I mean, there was great love given to it. It was in a divine relationship, and Ahaz would be the final straw. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We should all be familiar with this verse, right? For decades, for years, it's been in relation to Christmas. But what we have here is God is no longer offering Ahaz an invitation to witness his power, but God is making all of us a promise. And he started this promise or this command by getting our attention with the word behold. And this promise is what Riley read to us in Psalm 2. And also we see it in Psalm 45, 6 and 7. Psalm 45, 6 and 7. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This Emmanuel is just not a name, but it's the coming Messiah who would be the king. And we see it also, we'll see it coming up in 8.8, that the Assyrians will sweep over the land and strip it, and it's being told to the owner of the land, Emmanuel. And the singular form of the word land there ties it to a possession of the king, so we see the, the manual being referred also to a king. And we see this in 2 Samuel 24, 13. David has counted the people. He's been disobedient. And he gets some choices of what his punishment will be. And one of them is famine that will come onto David's land, the king. So in this prophecy, though, about Jesus we're seeing that where God offered Ahaz to move heaven and earth, what he did, though, is he will move heaven and earth and prove the uniqueness of Jesus' birth. Verse 15. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. Curds and honey is a food of a poverty-stricken land. Curds are like eating cottage cheese. Bless their hearts. And this signifies a land that has been overrun by its enemies. 
So this divine child would be born into poverty and a conquered land. And as you read 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles, which walk along with us during this time, you'll see that basically after, after Hezekiah, there is no real king on the throne for the house of David any longer. So when Jesus came, he inherited a conquered land that he shared in the poverty with his people, received a non-existent throne to live in a land that was oppressed. Verse 16. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. That should have been enough for Ahaz right there. And while this prophecy deals with Emmanuel, it also deals with what's going on in the present situation in Judah. So even though it would be hundreds of years before Jesus came on earth, this prophecy of how much longer these two lands would be in is set based on the years of a young child. So the length of a time a young person knows before he knows how to refuse evil and choose, choose good could be considered. I know that age is debatable, and it may have been vague on purpose, but let's see the time frame God chose to define this prophecy. So we had Damascus and Syria as the problem areas, and within 13 years, both lands had fallen and were no longer a threat. So it's funny then when you hear people debate about how long this is um, and how old you are before you can refuse evil and choose good, you can just smile and let them keep debating because in God's mind, he meant around 13 years and this would be wiped out. The other, the other head scratcher can be if you took this prophecy at initial value and statement and thought the child would have to be born first and then the clock started on these countries um, to be dealt with. But that's not how this prophecy worked. God was giving us the most powerful prophecy that he'd had, that we will see Jesus come. And then he was also showing Ahaz, if you just be calm and be still and rely on me, I will take care of your problems for you. Verse 17. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days that have not come since the day that Ephraim has departed Judah, the king of Assyria. So Ahaz, in his unfaithfulness, missed out on witnessing God move in big ways and instead he trusted a country that he thought would be their savior but in reality will come and be their executioner the tough passage to hear for Ahaz was Isaiah telling him that the Lord will bring on him his people and his father's house such bad days so bad they will know it's ending. 
And then also to hear that as he's being told this, he's being listed separately where he wasn't before from the father's house. And he was, he was previously included in verses 2 and verses 13. So we see in 1 Kings chapter 12, the defection of the ten tribes to move up north. They took away five-sixths, there's, there's math for you, five-sixths of the rule from the house of David. Now Ahaz, in his lack of faith, and the lack of faith for most of his fathers, would now cause the complete loss of the rule of David's house until Jesus' second coming. Okay, so God fully knew that Ahaz would decline to be listed in this faith hall of fame like his forefathers, like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and so many others. But he was willing to act on Ahaz's test to see if, if, he could, if he could do it or at least judge him. And then God did move heaven and earth for his remnant. So with this, I want to encourage you guys, like we've been talking about, to really work to increase your knowledge of God, seeking him every day, preferably the morning, read his word, pray, develop a deeper faith in him, because my prayer is that when he, when he has something for us, when, he, when we're ready, when he calls on us, whether it's to be sensitive to somebody else, that's someone that's hurting, or whether we just need to like, take him a coffee, sit with him, bring him a meal, chat with him, or be there to offer encouragement in a tough time, that we're ready. And by knowing his word, we can reach into it and share what he's put on our heart. I think you'll find it amazing, and I know you'll be singing his praises, when something you've read that morning that's touched you, you find it fits perfectly into the situation you're now dealing with with a family member or friend, and it's just what they need to hear. And you can provide that hope and the compassion in a tough time. I think you'll find it amazing. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we want to thank you so much for this time that we can be before you and diving into your word that's written about you and see you in it. See the promise of you coming the first time. May we never take that for granted that God did such an amazing miracle that we would be able to come back to you one day, that we will be with you. And the Bible says to be absent from this life is to be present with you. And we're so thankful for that. And we are so thankful that the life we've, we can't wait to live, we see in Zechariah, we see in Isaiah, that we will be before you, enjoying this beautiful time in the eternal life. We thank you so much for that. Be with us now. Help us to, to develop that deeper relationship with you. 
Help us to grow in it. Help us to memorize your word and hide it in our heart to protect us, to make us stronger. We just love you so much and thank you for the witness of the giants that came before us that we can grow in you. Amen.